0: In this episode of the Yuketropolis podcast, scales, inversions, and strum patterns. How to conquer those New Year's resolutions. Welcome back to the Yuketropolis podcast for more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. In this episode, New Year's Resolutions for Ukulele. I'm your host, James Hill. So you've probably made some New Year's resolutions already. Like, for me, it's get in shape, clean out the garage, uh, don't forget to take the garbage out on Fridays... You know that kind of thing. So what are the equivalent resolutions for ukulele? What are those promises we make to ourselves? Like this year is going to be the year. 2021 is going to be the year that I learn how to do X, Y, Z on the ukulele. And like regular resolutions... The, those kind of promises to yourself don't often come true. And so they come around year after year. And as a as a teacher, I hear about them year after year. And so I have a few tips for you based on what I think some of your resolutions might be for your own ukulele playing. So we're going to look at three common resolutions and a few tips on how to actually achieve those this year. This could be the year. So what are those three resolutions? Well, number one is scales. Number two, inversions. And number three, strums. Those are the three things that always come up. And they roughly outline the three-sphere model of ukulele that I mentioned uh, in episode 16, I think, of this podcast. That's a, a model of ukulele that teachers in the Jehui Uh, teacher certification program study in order to give themselves uh, a bird's eye view of everything that's possible on the ukulele. And so if you're interested in that, check it out in episode number 16. And if you're really interested in that, check it out at euchatropolis.com slash jhui to get a sense of what that uh, teacher training program is all about. So the basic idea of the three-sphere model is that you've got melody, chords, and percussion. You've got one note at a time. You've got more than one note at a time. And you've got no notes at a time. And it makes sense that if you're making some New Year's resolutions that you're going to sort of pick one from each of those categories to work on. So let's start with one note at a time. So often I hear people say to themselves and to me, something to the effect of, you know, one day I'm gonna learn all my scales. One sweet day I will know the entire fretboard from, from north to south, from east to west, I'm gonna know the whole thing Backwards and forwards, like the back of my hand. And you know what? That is a noble goal to have, you know, and good luck with that. I wish you the best. And, you know, just a word of caution about that way of thinking knowing all your scales is not a prerequisite for having fun and making meaningful, beautiful music. I personally will confess that I don't know all my scales. And I'm just not letting it hold me back. I feel that I don't have to wait until I know everything before I do anything. I'm just going to go with what I've got and do my best, have fun, muddle through. And that's my general approach to it. And now I am also very curious about the fretboard. So I'm constantly sort of picking away at certain structures and patterns that I find just interesting, but I never force myself to learn fretboard stuff. <laughs> I I just don't think it works when you say, oh, you know, I think I feel like I have to learn this. I feel like I ought to learn this. I feel like I should learn this. If that's the way you feel about scales, then, you know, just move on to something else and come back when it's the thing that wakes you up at 3.30 in the morning because you can't think of anything else. It's the thing that you start doodling in the margins of your notebook when you're in grade 10 um, math class. Until that thing really starts to intrude into your life, I honestly I don't think you're going to pick it up, even if you do force yourself to sit down and, and, and practice scales over and over again. If you don't need to know it... Um, you're not going to pick it up. I think music, and especially music theory, is very much on a need-to-know basis. But if you're at that point where you do need to know it, then I do have one piece of advice for you, and that is crawl up the fretboard. And what I mean by that is we typically practice scales from one end to another and back again. Nothing wrong with that, but I don't really go anywhere. Just up and down, like swimming laps in a pool. And yeah, I'll get better at that, and I'll, my fingers will get stronger. But I'm not really going anywhere, <laughs> right? I'm kind of stuck. It's it's like playing an old game of Pong, where the the ball just goes back and forth and back and forth, and that's that's it. Instead, try practicing the way one of those robot vacuums works <laughs> in your, either a, you know, in a in a pool or in your house. I don't have one, but I've seen them, and they they just kind of crawl around. You almost kind of don't see them sometimes. They're just there, sort of crawling away, sucking up the dirt. And I guess they do that by going a certain distance and then coming back and then the next time they'll go a little further and then they'll come back and the next time they go a little further again. And that's exactly how you can practice your scales, by simply breaking the ceiling at the top of the octave. I went one note too many and now when I come down I'm ready to start on the second note of the scale. And I'm gonna go one extra note there. And I'm just gonna keep going in this pattern. Each time. Going one too far. What I end up doing is crawling my way through the entire scale over the entire neck of the ukulele. It's a really, really simple way to change the way you practice. Instead of going from one end of the scale to the other and back, just break the ceiling and start crawling up the fretboard. What you'll find is that you start to crawl into the sort of dark and dusty areas of the fretboard, but you do it kind of sequentially. So it's not just like jumping into the void, you're kind of giving yourself a scaffold to explore some of the the dusty frets up there. Now the real challenge is, can you do this in a sort of compact way so that you're not hunting and pecking for every note? Because I'm playing the C scale right now. When I start to move up like that, inevitably I start to then sort of float up the first string and then always retreat back to my familiar zone in the first three frets. And then I kind of push my way up the first string again and then retreat back to my comfort zone. Now, that's... That's good for a start, you, know, you just want to start somewhere. But as you get more comfortable with this, my challenge to you is, can you bring this all into, um, into the palm of your hand, into the palm of your left hand, so that all of these patterns... I didn't have to move at all for that one, because it's all under one handful. And I'm going across the strings and I'm finding patterns that that only ever span about five frets. I'm never running up and down one string, hunting and pecking and chasing after notes. I'm going across the strings, only ever covering a span of five frets and finding patterns that fit within that framework. This is now where it really starts to come together and make some sense. And so there's a bit of a journey here. Uh, One day I'm going to, I swear, I'm going to write a book about this that that will sort of map out the the amazing symmetry of the scale, of the major scale, the way it unfolds itself on the ukulele fretboard. It's really beautiful. But, you know, in the meantime, because I haven't written that book yet, uh, and I'm not sure that anybody's written that book yet, why don't you just discover it for yourself? By doing this very exercise, this crawling exercise, and then trying to bring those notes into the palm of your hand so you can play an entire position without shifting your hand at all. So that is resolution advice number one. If you're looking to expand your knowledge of Scales on the fretboard. Try that. See if it gives you a pathway that you hadn't followed before, because that's what you need to jolt you out of your regular pattern so that in 2022, you don't just keep recycling the same New Year's ukulele resolutions. Try it. See if it helps. And good luck. Now we're going to turn to the issue of chords and what resolutions you might have made around chords. No pun intended. I do have an entire episode about the power of resolution. I can't remember which episode that was. I'm looking it up here. That was episode number 11. So if you're interested in resolution, now's a good time. Check that out. It was uh, on November 11th, actually. Episode 11. So, uh, what kinds of promises might you have made to yourself about chords? Well, probably the number one thing I hear students talking about in terms of chording is inversions. I think this word is out there. I think people know it. It's a, it's a powerful thing. There's a sense that, hey, I probably should learn those, you know, just to have them in my back pocket. But there's also uh, a sense that these things are actually problem solvers. You know, a lot of students run up against real-life musical problems that can really only be solved with inversions, and that's when you really get the fire to learn these things, because they do take a bit of practice, there's no question about it, but sometimes there's no way to solve a musical problem except to use inversions. And like, for example, if I was trying to play... If I was trying to take that melody and play chords with it at the same time, I would have no choice but to use inversions to keep that chord to keep that chord moving, lockstep with the melody as it goes up the neck. That melody goes way too far. I can't just hold one chord position and stretch for the melody. I mean, I could if I had a gigantic pinky finger, but I don't. So, I mean, I've got to move the chord to stay with the, the uh, melody. And that ability to shuffle the notes in a chord so that you can put that chord anywhere on the neck, anywhere usually within the within reach of the melody that you're trying to play at the same time, that's an incredibly powerful skill. It's a real problem-solving skill. It's something that really does work for you. It's a very practical application of music theory, I guess you could say. So what's my advice in terms of you know tackling this task of learning inversions? Because you know it's like, where do I even start with that? It's it's such a mountain to climb. Well, I would suggest that you start right here. Those are all the open strings. (laughs) They're slightly out of tune even. Now, all the open strings, as you probably know, those notes spell a chord. G, C, E, A. That chord is, we'll call it C6. And that's a great chord to start with. The C6 chord is a great place to start. If you can discover the inversions of the C6 chord, I tell you what, you're just off to the races. That is the place to start with these inversions. There are a number of reasons for that, that I'm not sure if I'm gonna get into. Just believe me, this is the place to start. So here's one little rule that you can take with you as you try to find these chord voicings. Um, voicing is just a fancy word that means how you're playing that chord, not just what chord you're playing, but exactly how you're playing that chord. The position of the fingers at that moment in time. There are some good resources out there. Um, the one that comes to mind is Brad Bordessa's book, uh, Ukulele Chord Shapes, and that covers all this stuff. Uh, that's a good book that I've I've seen myself, and you know I know Brad, and I, I know he's thorough in his teaching. So. I recommend that one, um, but I also recommend you figuring it out on your own, <laughs> because uh, that's ultimately the way we 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 internalize things. And here's one rule that uh, that can help you do just that while you're waiting for, you know, Brad's book to arrive in the mail. The note that happens on the first string is the note that will happen on the fourth string in the next inversion. Whoa. Let me say that again. (laughs) The note that happens on the first string, in this case, that's A. That's the note closest to the floor as I'm sitting here playing. When I go to the next inversion, that means when I take all these notes and I find them in a higher position, but all the same notes still, that note from the first string is going to be the note on the fourth string in the next chord position. That gives me the first one for free. I put my first finger on that second fret of the fourth string because I'm following the rule here. James said that you know the, the first string note becomes the fourth string note in the next inversion. Now I've already got myself one out of four and I can start to find the same notes in that neighborhood and piece together what the next inversion will be now i can hear that that high note there which is my uh, note on the a string i know from this rule that that note is now going to flip onto the fourth string there i can just sort of feel around and find that same note on the fourth string and i know that that now is the the foothold for the next inversion and i can find the other notes of the chord through some trial and error but I already have my foothold because the first string note becomes the fourth string note in the next inversion there's my first string note I'm going to find it on the fourth string there it is and I can base this next position off of that foothold Okay, Now, that is a rule that applies to any chord that has four different letter names in it. It doesn't always work for simpler chords like um, C, for example, or G, or B-flat. These garden variety triads end up actually being more difficult when we start inverting them. They're more confusing, they're more exceptions to rules because they're a three-note chord on a four-string instrument, it doesn't work out quite as well. But when you take a jazzier chord like C6, these inversions work out beautifully. Every note moves in each inversion. And not only that, I mean, I practiced that for hours and hours and days and weeks on end. Until it was... Just second nature to go through those inversions, and that's what you're going to have to do. There's no, there's no quick way. You can't go around it. You know, you got to go through it. But when you do, it's it's with you. It's in your, you know, almost cellular memory, um, and it'll serve you well. And the reason it'll serve you well is that this chord, C6, as you might know, and I've done an episode on this. I, I think it was. I'm looking it up. It was episode number seven. How a chord can be A minor seven and C6 at the same time. This chord, this open string chord is so versatile because it has multiple names, it has multiple functions. It can be C6, it can be A minor seven, it can be F major nine, it can be D nine sus four. I'm not just making that up even though it sounds like I am. This is the Swiss army knife of chords. And if that's the one you start with, then you just multiply your efforts. Because now with each inversion, you're, you're creating a chord shape that you're gonna use in four different ways over the course of your ukulele life. So that's another reason why this one is the one to start with. When you're tackling inversions and you take all your good intentions From all those years of saying, hey, this is the year I'm going to learn my inversions. Well, let this be the year. Let this truly be the year you do learn your inversions. And let this be the one you start with. Finally, let's look at strumming. What are your New Year's resolutions around strumming? What would you like to do this year that you haven't done before? For a lot of folks, it's learning new strum patterns. Um, for a lot of folks, it's learning to strum cleaner, faster, more effortlessly. And all of those are great things. And you know, there's strumming is a life's work. So there's only so much I can tackle in a podcast like this, but what I can do is clarify one important thing and also give you the framework that I use when I'm learning new strums and when I'm sort of organizing my strums in my mind and in my practice. So here's one thing that always confused me, and that is the difference between a stroke and a strum. The reason this is important is because it has an impact on how you think about strums and how you name them and how you share them with other people like how you teach them and it's a it's a simple distinction a stroke is simply one motion of the hand like a downward motion or an upward motion that is one stroke a stroke is not a complete strum it's part of a strum so i could have a single stroke like that my hand started above the fretboard and finished below I could have a single stroke. I could have a double stroke by using my finger and thumb. I've only traveled in one direction there, but you heard two sounds. I could even have a triple stroke. That's using, in in that case, that was my pinky finger, index finger, and thumb. But only traveling in one direction. I've only gone downward. That's it. Okay? that's not a, That's not a full strum. It's just like a component of a strum. I call that a stroke, and it could be single, double, triple. That's different from a strum. A strum is a complete cycle. It starts above the fretboard, goes below the fretboard, and then comes back to where it started. A strum always lands on its feet. Here, even though you only heard one sound, secretly, I did a complete motion of my hand and came back to where I started. That's a strum, and in that case... That's a single strum, because you only hear one sound. So a double strum would be two sounds in one cycle of the hand. So the hand always comes back to where it starts. A triple strum would be three sounds. Now remember, we also had a triple stroke. But the thing is, with the triple stroke, I don't end up in a place where I can start again. With a triple strum, I do end up in a place where I can start again, and that's the big Difference. This always mystified me because I was always I confused about, you know, like what is a strum? How do I name a strum? How do I describe a strum to a student? How do I even describe a strum to myself, you know, when I'm trying to learn it? And this distinction between a stroke and a strum really helped me and I hope it helps you as well. Now, the framework that I use when I'm learning new strums, when I'm creating new strums, when I'm teaching strums, is based on this idea of the cycle where it's a single strum if you hear one sound over the course of a cycle it's a double strum if you hear two sounds it's a triple strum if you hear three it's a quadruple strum if you hear four sounds in that cycle Uh, i don't know if i can do five but Yeah, well, let's try. It would be a quintuple strum if you can make five sounds in the course of one down-up motion. Like that. I'm not sure if I'd ever use that strum in real life, but hey, it's good to know that it's possible. And then there's the sextuplet, which is three sounds on the way down and three sounds on the way up. So like a triple stroke and another triple stroke which makes a sextuplet strum, which is like a very virtuosic flourish of a strum. You know, it's it's not something you do every day on every tune, but it's there, you know, it's there for you. The sextuplet strum, and it fits into this kind of this model of strumming, where you name the strums for how many sounds you hear in the course of a cycle of the hand. The cycle is from above the fretboard to below the fretboard and back again, just like the pendulum in science class. You know, one cycle of the pendulum, so that it comes back to where it starts. You count how many sounds you got. And that's what you name the strum. And so I hope that that, even that bit of information and hearing that strumming spectrum will help you to sort of guide your own practice and your own exploration as you move forward in this new year where I hope you achieve all the ukulele things that you were dreaming of and that you've been dreaming of. It's all there for you. It's amazing what a tiny Piece of the world the fretboard is just you know it's just tiny a few inches by a few inches and yet it there's a whole world in there to explore a whole world of mystery and uh, intrigue and geometry and art and beauty and frustration and discipline and expression you know it's like it's all locked in there in this tiny little window that we call the fretboard so Dive in and enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to the Yukatropolis podcast, and Happy New Year. There's never been a better time to head over to Euchtropolis.com and check out our library of unique online ukulele courses. We have courses for absolute beginners right through to advanced players. And I want to make special mention of the J. Hui Teacher Certification Program We're starting a new session on January 1st. I want to welcome all the new students in the program, as well as returning students. And if you're an ukulele teacher and you want to level up your teaching abilities, have a look at yukatropolis.com slash jhui and consider joining us sometime. We run the program twice a year. My name's James Hill. I'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, keep on strumming.